So last week we talked about uh, the first couple verses of Philippians. It was our first uh, uh, series, our first sermon in our series, and we talked about how a wealthy Lydia and a jailer and a slave girl and their families made up this church in Philippi. They're very different social classes, different backgrounds, different economic statuses. And we, lo- and we saw how the gospel breaks down those boundaries. And when we have Jesus in common, that's really all that matters. And we saw in the beginning of those first couple verses that Paul was gushing over these church members in the first nine verses. He says, I love you guys, and I wonder how you're doing constantly, and I think about you often. And he says, look, I'm excited about what God's doing in your life. And he he says, we know that God began these things in you, and he will be faithful to complete those things. God started this. God will finish it. God started this church here. God started these movements, and God will be the one that accomplishes it. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 12. Last week we saw how the gospel breaks down social boundaries, and this week we're going to see how the gospel breaks down walls of circumstances that we use as excuses so often. We've got this problem or that problem, and that's why we can't do something or or think big. And we're going to start seeing that in verse 12. Paul says this, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is a frustrating guy for people that stand against the gospel. He is in prison again, years after that time in Acts that we talked about last week. He's in prison again, years after that time where they sang in prison and the shackles fell off and the doors opened. And the funny thing is, a lot of amazing things happened in prison for Paul, right? Times where he would say, I'm stuck. Times that he would say, I'm in trouble and I can't go on. Those are some of the best things that happened to Paul. That's where we got, uh, if it wasn't for prison in Paul's life, we might not have a lot of the Bible because that's a lot of times where he wrote this scripture down. He had time to pause because I think Paul was like us sometimes where we get going too fast and we think past things, and, but Paul had to stop and he had to wait. But Paul's in prison again. But just like that prison with the jailer, here the Roman guards are coming to Christ. Fellow prisoners are getting saved. It says in this verse that the gospel is being advanced even though he's sitting in a prison again. Now, I'm sure that he has not quit praising while in prison. Now, if that was you and you had praised God and you had sang out to God and the shackles had fallen off and the doors had opened, next time you were in prison, don't you think you'd be singing again? I know I would be. I'm sure he frequently sang out praises to God so loud that the whole prison could hear him. Just like that night, the jail doors swung open. I'm sure he's singing amazing grace. I'm sure he's singing uh, how sweet the sound. It is well with my soul. Maybe open up the heavens. We want to see you. 
Maybe he's singing, uh, I ran out of that grave. I don't know what he's singing, but I imagine that this is something Paul did constantly. So imagine that with me. He's in jail again. And he realizes that he can praise God even in his problems. And he knows that any minute his chains could fall off just like they did that night so many years ago. And he also realizes that even though he's in prison, he knows that it's where God wants him to be. So he shares Christ where he is at. And here's the the, the thing I want you to leave today with. It's this. No matter your mess, you have a mission. No matter your mess, you have a mission. Paul had said this. He said, what has happened to me, what I'm going through, the struggles that I have, all these bad things that everybody sees has really been used to advance the gospel. They're trying to shut me up, but the gospel just keeps changing people. Uh, another version of this says that, uh, that my bonds in Christ are made manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Paul says, hey, they may have me locked up, but the people even in the palace, the imperial guard, and other places can't help but notice that they don't really have me locked up. Yeah, I might be in a prison cell, but Christ is the one I'm really bound to. I'm really shackled to Christ. I'm Christ's servant, and I'm not their servant. They can't bind my hands and feet. They can bind my hands and feet, but they cannot bind my heart. And even in this supposedly terrible time where Paul would have had every excuse just to sit back and waste away and to be discouraged, no, Paul sees the good and Paul sees the positive. And that's hard for us to do many times, but I challenge you and I challenge myself, when you're in the middle of your prison, when you're in the middle of your problem, you have a mission. Find out what God wants you to do. Find out who God wants you to speak with because no matter your mess, you have a mission. Verse 4 goes on and says that because, or excuse me, 14, that because of what was going on, other preachers were being emboldened. And the story has encouraged others and made them rejoice. Not only are things happening in that prison, but other preachers are saying, hey, did you hear what Paul's doing in that prison? If he can do that in that prison, I can do something big out here. And people are being encouraged. Verse 19 says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will all turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Look at these next uh, couple words. Christ would be honored, it's my desire that Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is saying here, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but my prayer and my hope is that I preach Christ to the bitter end and I, have it with, and I do it with courage, so much so that the name of Christ is lifted up and people cease to begin to see Paul the apostle and they begin to see Jesus Christ. And then he says this amazing thing. He basically says, God, if you get more glory out of me living and continuing to preach, then that's what I want. But God, if you get more glory through my death, then I want that. Wow, that's a big deal, right? That's a big statement right there. Can I say that? Can I believe that? Whose glory am I seeking with my life? Am I seeking to make a name for myself or am I seeking to make a name for 
Christ. And then he pulls out the big guns. You know this verse in verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. Paul's saying to live the gospel, to live Christ is unbelievable. And he knows he doesn't want to go back to who he was. He knows he doesn't want to go back to who he was before he became a Christian, before he followed Christ, where he was uh, hypocritical and proud and hateful. He didn't want to go back there. And see, once you've tasted that life of walking close to Christ, it's hard to, to want anything else. That will fail and will fall, but we'll never be satisfied once we've tasted that real living water. And Paul says, I want that so much to the point that I would rather die and bring glory to Christ than live and not give glory to Christ. And he knows that if he, he does die and if something does happen to them, then he gets to see Christ. He gets to be with Christ. Verse 27, he challenges them with this. This church in Philippi, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let me say that one more time. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's a big thing. That means the church is not, and this whole thing that we're doing called Christianity, is not about making you more comfortable. It's not about pleasing you. It's not about uh, what can I get out of this. No, he says here, only what everything you do, let your life be worthy of the gospel. What it also means is it's not about, well, what can I do? What, what will God be okay with? Can I walk right up to the line of what's acceptable for what uh, God wants me to do without crossing it? Or maybe cross it a little bit, then I'll ask for forgiveness. No, he says, only let your life be a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Christ died for you. Are you living motivated to be worthy of that. We'll never be worthy of that ultimate sacrifice. But we can live like we want to be, right? And Paul goes on and says, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, that I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Man, this is, these are some awesome passages of scripture. This is big. He says, let your life be a life that shows the gospel. And then he says, whether Paul, whether I am here or not, whether your pastor's around or not, whether your youth pastor's around or not, that their life would be a life that showed the gospel, whether their wife was around or not, whether their Christian friends were around or not, whether their parents were around or not, let their life be a life that shows the gospel everywhere. So let's pause here and take a minute and say, what is the gospel? We use that word a lot. We know it means good news. But what it really means is Jesus took my place. I deserve the punishment of hell. And Jesus took the world's punishment on himself. And he made a way for us to get to God. And not just in the next life, but right now. We can have a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. That's what the gospel is. It's this grand story that from the beginning of time, God made a plan. And to live like that is a big deal. And when we live in the gospel, we live in the fact that we are far worse than we ever imagined. And far more loved than we could have ever dreamed. So what does a life that reflects the gospel look like? It was at the very end of that last verse. He says, standing firm. 
Church, this is what we're supposed to do. If we want to have a church that reflects the gospel in our personal life and our corporate life, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith faith of the gospel. Once again, we see what holds a church that is so diverse, a church that has not much in common together. Because when we see people uh, and having that, pleasing of Christ as their top priority, it brings people together that otherwise would not get along. When people have pleasing Christ as their top priority, it brings people together that might not otherwise get along. We see that striving together for the gospel. So that's what holds a church together. But what destroys a church? What could destroy a church? That's when we cease to stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving to live lives that reflect the gospel and share the gospel. What does that mean? It means if friendships in the church get bigger than the gospel for us, then we're toast. If programs get bigger than the gospel for us, then it's the beginning of the end. If tradition gets bigger and more important than the gospel for us, then we have no hope to stay together and please Christ. If style is what we care about and what we think about and what we talk about more than the gospel, then we're in trouble. If disagreements and our opinion get bigger than the gospel, then we will fall apart. What are we saying here is what keeps a church in unity is standing fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together, side by side for the faith of the gospel. Brothers and sisters in Christ, not motivated by credit, or performance, but motivated by living lives that reflect what Jesus did for us, sharing what Jesus did for us. And that is what it means to have a life that reflects the gospel. Let's think of that word striving. That doesn't sound real comfortable, right? I'm not a runner. (gasps) Everybody's surprised by that, right? (laughs) I just blew everybody's mind. I am not a runner. But that is what running is like for me. I strive the whole time. I'm struggling and I'm desperate and I'm just trying to make it happen. But here's saying it's a matter of pushing and pressing on and striving together for the gospel, working together for the gospel, fighting for the gospel. Now let's remember who these people are. Oftentimes we think of these Bible uh, characters as just that, characters in this story and they're these like mythical people that just had everything together, but that's not who these people were. We had a slave girl a foreign, wealthy fashion mogul, a a blue-collar jailer. Don't fall into the trap that believing that these people in the Bible didn't have struggles. They had to strive for the gospel. You don't think that slave girl struggled with her past? She was possessed. You don't think that literally haunted her? She was a slave. You don't think she might have had a little bit of trust issues? You don't think she had constantly had to put her anxiety and her burdens at God's feet? She daily had to renew her mind and yield her body as a living sacrifice just to get past her past. Lydia was this wealthy business person, and and often we know that wealthy people can get distracted from the things that are most important. When we have a lot here, it's easy to get distracted with a lot here. You don't think she had to refocus from time to time to remember that the spreading of the gospel was the most important thing? You don't think that materialism and how her house was doing and how her stocks were doing were constantly taking her attention? 
You don't think she might have struggled with pride a little bit as she's sitting next to this slave girl in church where she had to say, oh, I'm not better than her. I'm just a sinner. I need to recognize that she just has a different experience than I did, and I could have gone through that same very thing. And you don't think she had to struggle with that arrogance and that pride? You don't think she might have looked at the jailer and said, he couldn't comprehend the pressure that's on me. He has just a mindless job, and he doesn't have to worry about all the things that I had to worry about. What about that jailer? You don't think the jailer had, had problems sharing his faith at work to his friends? He literally worked for the Romans, and the Romans killed Christians. You don't think it was hard to share that gospel with them? You think this ex-military jailer didn't find himself being too harsh with people sometimes and, and had to figure out a way to show the love and grace and mercy that the Bible tells us to? What am I saying? I'm saying these people struggle with the same things that we struggle with. And yet, Paul tells them, look, the God that's gonna, that started this whole thing, he started something good here, and he is the one that will finish it. And he reminds them that you have not arrived. Yes, you've come a long way from Acts, and now you're in Philippians, and things are going a lot better in Philippians than they were in Acts. And you've come a long way, but you haven't arrived, and you can't get there on your own. They had to remember as a church to refocus and to remember that the main thing needs to stay the main thing and to avoid letting minor situations take our attention from the major priority. Oftentimes you hear people in churches, and I hear stories and read things a lot about uh, them fighting about all types of little things, and they'll fight about style, and they'll fight about the, the schedule, and they'll fight about all that, but you never, ever hear church people fight about the fact that they might not be doing what they were meant to do as a church. I never heard anyone start an argument saying, hey, we're not preaching the gospel. Hey, we're not in unity the way we're supposed to be. That, that, that never causes fights. And that what we fight about is what we're passionate about. And here it tells us to strive together, to fight together for the gospel, to keep the gospel the center of the attention. Because it's so easy to lose focus. So we see these things that sometimes can frighten us, like death and persecution and struggle. They don't seem so bad under the light of what we just read, right? To live as Christ. To, God, to die is gain. God started this. God can finish it. Verse 28, Paul tells them, don't be frightened by all this stuff. He says, uh, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents, the people that stand against you. This is a clear sign to them that their destruction, but your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He says here that uh, along with salvation comes a certain amount of suffering. And you know this is true. Anything that is worth, anything is worth fighting for. You're not going to have a good marriage unless you fight for it. You're, gonna, you're not going to have a, a good college experience unless you fight for it. You're... you're Job at work, if you quit pushing, things are going to go wrong and they're going to go bad. And the same thing happens with our walk for Christ. If we stop fighting and striving to do better and to do more and to uh, get closer and to spread the word uh, bigger, 
We're going to have a problem. And, and we're not in these places that these people were. We don't face real death being a Christian here in this country yet. There are places in, across the world that Christians do face death. But we do have struggles. Right? It's hard to share Christ with someone that I don't know, or maybe they're uh, kind of a rough person. They're a little bit out of our social circle. Well, what if I get mocked? What if I lose friends? Well, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Right? What if, what if I surrender to serve God and he takes me far away from my family and, and, and I have to do some scary things to live as Christ, to die is gain? The Christian that has the right focus realizes this whole thing is about Jesus and it's not about you. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If you're here and you're saved today, then you're playing with house money. What does that mean? It means you and I are, are deserving of hell. And the fact that we're not in hell right now is an amazing miracle. Right? That's something to be excited about. We're playing with house money. I don't know if you've ever played uh, video games very much. Maybe it's Pac-Man or something like that. Did you ever have a situation where you're playing Mario or, or one of those games, and all of a sudden you lose your last life, right? It's like boom, 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 right? And you have this problem. You, you just died. But then all of a sudden it's like boom, 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 and you got an extra life, right? And all of a sudden you can play a little bit longer. Well, that is what is exactly happened to you at the moment of salvation, you were destined for hell. You were undeserving. Bah, 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 bah. You got an extra life and you're living in it right now. You're in bonus time. This is all gravy. This is a chance for you to do more and you didn't deserve it. You didn't know it was coming, but you have an opportunity to say, I'm in bonus time. So to live is Christ, to die is gain. I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this. We're living in the bonus time. And a Christian that lives this out can say, you can't scare me. You can't shut me up. You can't threaten me with persecution. Why? Because if God gets the glory, that's all that I care about. You can threaten me with heaven, but hey, one day I'm going to get to be with Christ. So to live is Christ and to die is gain. And now you have the recipe to live a fearless life when you remember that it's all about God. See, you are not the star of this show. We're just extras, and this is God's story. And you get to play a part in it, and that's an amazing thing. But you're not the lead actor. And if there was a, uh, a trailer somewhere on this movie set of life, it wouldn't have a star with your name on it. We're just people in the background holding lights for Jesus and saying, hey, we're, we're putting up microphones and say, hey, listen to what Jesus said. He's the star of the show. To live is Christ. To die is gain. God, use me to bring you glory, whether it be by my life or by my death. Why? Because everything in this world is empty. And if you're living for acceptance, you're living for prominence or popularity, you're going to find out either now or in the next life that it was all empty. The only life that is worthy of the gospel is a life that is lived for Jesus Christ. Someone once said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The only thing that can, you can take with you in the next life is what you do here that is for Christ. And if each one of us does that, 
and each one of us strive together for the gospel, then any amount of jealousy or conflict or disunity will cease to exist in this place as we stand fast in one spirit and in one mind, striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. We need to be reminded that we haven't yet arrived. The moment of salvation was not the end game. Okay, I'm going to heaven now. I get to quit. No, that was bonus time. And now you get to rack up anything you can do to give glory to Christ. Don't forget that even in your mess, you still have a mission. Because we all have excuses as to why uh, we can't. I'm getting too old. I don't know if I can do this anymore. Oh, you don't understand my job situation. You don't understand my past and what's happened to me. Hey, you can live bound by those things or you can decide to use those things. And you got to get past your past sometimes and realize this is all Christ's story. It's not my story. Let me just do what little I can to give glory to Christ with my life because to live is Christ. To die is gain. So I'll stand to our feet, bow our heads. No one looking around. I want you to ask yourself this question Who's the star? Who's the star of this show? There was a, a Christian singer that wrote a song that says, If you want to steal my show, go ahead and do it right? And that's what some of us need to do this morning and say, God, I've tried to be the star and I'm standing in your way and I've been jealous and I've let myself become self-centered and I've been a diva and I've been complaining and I've made it all about me and I want it to be all about you. And I want to remember that to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm in, I'm in bonus time right now because I've accepted Christ. Anything that happens to me is fine because I'm just trying to give glory to Christ with my life. I might be in prison. I might be in struggles. I might be in problems. But I'm going to realize that even in this mess, I can do something great for God. I can have a mission. And I can keep singing in this prison. And, and, and be secure that if God wants with my life, for me to continue to preach and continue to praise God with all I am, even in this struggle, then great. But if he says, hey, come on home, Christian, I'm good with that too because I get to be with Christ. With every head bowed and eyes closed, don't get past today without dealing with this. Ask yourself that question. Who's the star of this show? Every head's bowed, eyes are closed. You can use your chair there. You can sit down and just pray and cry out to God right now. Use that as an altar. You could come down here. God moves in your heart too. But don't let it pass. Don't let it pass without dealing with it. Who's the star of my show this morning? Music's gonna play here just for a second. You come, you pray where you're at.